Welcome to the CFOleader.com podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Castro. Very excited to present a special live edition of the CFOleader.com podcast in conjunction and jointly with Financial Executives International. We presented a live panel discussing when vision meets reality, managing an operating plan. The participants of the panel were Elliot Smith from Lucid Software, Kevin McKenzie from Simple Nexus, and Ray Langham from Nice CX1. Very, very interesting discussion that we had in a live setting, which we will present here shortly. The presentation, as I mentioned before, was live, so there probably is some intermittent uh, connectivity issues with the the audio, so uh, apologies for that. But the discussion was fantastic. And as we dove deep into the principles of managing an operating plan and managing those that participate in the operating plan process, and uh, really excited to participate and to moderate that panel and uh, to present this now to you. So without further ado, we will dive into and uh, and get the uh, the panel started for your listening pleasure. Thank you. So why don't we take a minute and uh, start with you, Ray, and kind of go down the panel, and let's just give you a quick introduction for yourself and uh, talk about you, and we'll kind of just go down and we'll talk about the topic then. Yep. Um, so my name is Ray Langham. I'm the CFO of Nice and Contact. So we're a software firm here that provide call center software um, or technology to, uh, to call centers via the cloud. Uh, we are part of an overall organization of Nice, which is about a $1.8 billion organization, and we're uh, a piece of that, uh, we're all their cloud, we're most of their cloud business, uh, they're mostly perpetual software. And just right over here off 100 South, uh, up on the top of one of those towers, so, so pretty close. Although I've never visited that office in about a uh, year and a half, almost two years now, but I think it's still there, we're still paying rent, so uh, <laughs> there's, there's something there. Um, and I've been, uh, been in the finance profession for, uh, I dare say, 30 years, so I'm one of the old guys, I guess, and uh, have been working in various places, various software companies across the world. Uh, Kevin McKenzie, I'm the CFO and COO at uh, Simple Nexus. So Simple Nexus is a mobile-first uh, application for loan officers. Uh, you probably haven't heard of our name, but you might have used the app, which has come through a white-labeled solution through our different customers. So Fairway down the street or uh, these types of companies leverage us to basically supplement their technology, which the idea is that you can apply for a loan, uh, search for a home, apply for a loan, and we're just releasing now a product to allow you to close on your home fully remote if it's allowed in the state, and then also some post-close, some uh, things like that. So so I've been probably in the finance world for 15, 20 years. Um, came from another company called Advanced MD, uh, allowed them or helped them to sell a company twice and to buy a couple of companies. Big fan of transactions, personally. Um, it's been a lot of fun to do those types of things. I uh, worked for ADP for about 10 years, which is really where I'd say probably got a lot of my rigor in the finance world and that type of thing. So. Yeah, hi. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. My name's Elliot Smith. I'm the SVP of Finance at Lucid Software. We make uh, visual collaboration software. We're right down the street, 106 South, near you guys. And um, uh, I've been there three years. been at a couple other companies in this area, including uh, Ancestry. Um, and uh, yeah, glad to be here. Great. So let's just dive into the topic. Um, I was talking with Scott about you know potential topics that we could talk about. It just seemed very timely right now at this uh, you know at this point in time to talk about operating plans because as finance people, most of us are already deep in the in the throes of of planning an operating plan and putting it together um, and uh, at least you know thinking about it or in some cases actually starting to putting it together. So 
we're going to talk about, um, you know, first of all, the, the planning of the operating plan, and then we'll talk about managing the operating plan. And then the third section is uh, an interesting topic, which I like to call like the, the wartime CFO, which is when things go haywire, right? Um, for example, with COVID, right? What happens when things don't go exactly to plan? Um, what's the mentality, process, procedure that a CFO should have in evaluating the effectiveness of the plan? So um, let's start with the, the planning and preparation. So, uh, you know, before we actually get into the nuts and bolts of it, you know, Kevin, let's start with you. How do you view the role of the CFO versus the other executives? What is your role that you play and what do you expect the other executives to do in the construction and building of the operating plan? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm interested in these two gentlemen as well, thoughts, but, um, you know, really it's, I see it as kind of the coordinator, the, the project manager, making sure that you're pulling together the thoughts. And what I've found in prior scenarios where the CFO dictated certain things, people uh, very quickly tended to say, well, it's not my number, it's Kevin's number. I didn't have a part of that, so I'm just forced to deal with this. Uh, versus a collaborative effort where we talk about why certain things are a certain way. Uh, we have a conversation and then pulling all those different uh, things together to ultimately come up with something that uh, everyone owns, that it's not just the CFO chair that owns this, but that the entire you know, executive team or the managers own together, so. Right, okay. what do you think about that? Yeah, and I think, um, I totally agree with the concept of project manager, making it collaborative. And, uh, and I do think it also starts with, with strategy formation, uh, meaning that, that the operating plan should really reflect uh, you know, the strategy of the company. And you know, depending on the maturity of the company, you may or may not have like a you know, very spelled out strategy, but I think that's important to try and get in place ahead of an operating plan uh, to make sure uh, you know, what you put together is supporting the company's goals. I think sometimes uh, we have to be the driver of it. <laughs> it just depends upon uh, the, the makeup of your executive team. Uh, I've been in organizations where yeah, I, I drive the strategy as well as driving the operating plan because I think it is very important to have a multi-year strategy first before you go into your operating plan. It's probably the most important thing to do. Um, and to me, the numbers are an outcome. Uh, they're not what you're trying to get at. They're just sort of an outcome that happens. And we spend the very least amount of effort on the financial plan. We spend most of the effort on trying to determine what the operations are going to be doing, whether it's marketing, sales, R&D, all those different items. We spend a lot more time in the competition uh, doing analysis on that. Let's talk about that, that strategy mindset for, for just a moment. So if we look at all the, the different frameworks and tools, um, you know, Ray, I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on this. But, um, you know, in my mind, you have your tactical and then your strategic frameworks that you're looking at. If you're a company that's VC funded or planning on taking funding, then obviously like your fundraising strategy and understanding, you know, when you need to raise money, that could be perhaps a multi-year plan. And then you have your, you know, your operating plan. And then you may have even more tactical, your, your cash forecast, your rolling forecast, et cetera. How, in your mind, where, where does the operating plan fit and how do you align it with your, your strategic plans, if that makes sense? Yeah, so as you have your strategy plan and that is complete, then the question would be for all the functional leaders, you know, what do they need in order to get that accomplished? You know, what do they need as far as headcount? What do they need as far as going outsourcing on different things? What are the resources that they need? Whether it be a capital resource or an operating expense resource. And so that's where then the finance team comes into play and say, okay, we'll help you figure that out. You tell us, I need five engineers and we will, we will do all the math for you type thing to get it done. 
But you know, once that plan is done, it's you know, for us, it happens in November, December. I mean, it's done in December. We're 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 good in that we have it done before the year starts. I've been at places where you're in January, February, <laughs> still doing it, but uh, but we're we're usually done, um, you know, by Thanksgiving, and then we make a few tweaks of it in early December, and we're done. But again, that's a point in time. So then there's a lot of things that happened in the course of the year. And we go through what you suggested is like a rolling forecast. We look at it every month. We go through a forecast every month. Now, obviously, it's not as deep dive as you would going through the plan where it's a more of a bottoms up type approach. But we go through and, and evaluate how we're performing from a business and all of our key metrics. And then how does it affect our financials and how will it affect it going forward? So you have your static operating plan, and then once that's baked in, you then have a rolling kind of updated forecast, which every is month. another point. Every single month, which you can compare to that, right? Yeah. That makes sense. Kevin and Elliot, is that kind of same thing for you for structure-wise in terms of the documents you prepare? Is that? Uh, yeah, I think we, we do. I've worked at places that do a monthly. We're not ready for a kind of a monthly, but we do a <laughs> quarterly reforecast for sure. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I'd say we're the same. We don't quite go as deep. Um, you know, some as Elliot. We'll do a reforecast for the board every quarter. But we'll look at every month and make sure we're tracking where we expect. Right. And it doesn't have to be a ton of work on the monthly basis. I mean, it's just a matter of, okay, you've closed your books. Did, what, did you do what you expected to do? Are you in line to go forward? And is there any changes from the organization that they want to do? And, and so we always do look at that. Yeah, I do think there's an interesting, there can be an interesting dynamic when you move from, as a company evolves, when you move from, okay, we have a budget that's like fixed for the whole year and move to more of a forecast cadence. Uh, because budget owners love to know, I have this money, I will always have it for, for the next year, right? And then when you, you introduce this concept of actually, well, things change all year, and so we, we do move our targets, uh, that can be a little disconcerting until the company gets used to it. It is more powerful and is the right thing to do, but managing that transition uh, with folks, I th you know, has been, you know, is, it, is interesting, it can be complicated, um, and it's just one of those change management exercises that, that I think you as the finance leader uh, needs to really make happen. I, I think that's really good because uh, there's a lot of change management because we even change money from functional areas. And so at the beginning, like, like let's say our marketing department, they like, okay, I got a million dollars and I only spent $90,000 this month so I, or 100,000, so I got $900,000 left. And, I, and we get to the end of a quarter and they say, well, I've, I've only spent this, so I get the remaining piece over the next year. And I go, no, we, you know, we're on a quarterly forecast. Uh, well, uh, um, not a quarterly forecast, but we have goals. We're a public company, so we have goals on a quarterly basis. And so if you don't spend it in that quarter, it's, it's gone. Um, you don't get all of a sudden say, I'm going to spend an extra million dollars because I didn't spend it in Q1 and Q2. You, you, you can't do that. And and even for uh, with private companies too as well, when you report to the board on how you've done, yeah, you have a year target, but you're still like that quarter sort of done. And it's, they don't automatically get it. And that's a definite mind shift with, the, with, the, with those teammates. I think you have to be careful though, right? Because then people go out and buy cam. Like I'm, I've done that with marketing, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm gonna lose all this money. I'm gonna go spend a bunch of, a bunch of money on a bunch of weird things. Yeah. It's a balance, I, yeah. I guess oh, what yeah. I'm saying. Like, and we can help them spend some money in the right areas right. and make it sure that it gets accounted for in the correct period too right. as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, Elliot, for, for a question for you, um, you know, as, as you kick off your 
your operating plan process, obviously one of the things you do is you kind of do a post-mortem of the, of the previous year's plan, right? And so for you particularly, how, how do you evaluate the, the prior year's plan to say, okay, this was an effective plan or if there's adjustments that you made, what's your kind of thought process as you're going through and evaluating what you currently have and if modifications are needed? Yeah, well, and for me, I think hopefully you've been doing that all through the year, right? Right, each period, each, each, each month and each quarter, like did the operating plan you know, did you hit your number? Did we kind of achieve those strategic priorities? Uh, those are kind of the measures for success. And I also think there's a lot of qualitative measures too. Like, did, you know, did the organization, you know, move with agility? Did you enable that? Was the operating plan an enabler? Or was it, you know, something that really bothered people, right? So I think there are some qualitative measures when you think about the operating plan. Because I, you know, and I think probably everyone on the panel use finance as an enabling function, and if our customers are unhappy, and if we are not getting the results we wanted, then there is some introspection we need to do about how to calibrate the plan differently, or how much, you know, how much time, is it, is it too onerous, is it not deep enough? I think, and I think in, you know, when, um, you know, right now I'm at a high growth company, so things change really quickly. So. So our process for this year is like pretty different than it was the prior year. Um, you know, at a more mature company, like that might not be the case, but I think we're always looking to improve the operating plan because it is, you know, the, the, the company is going to devote a lot of resources to making it, so it should, it should be a good, good output. Good. Uh, I'm also curious from, to hear from the other panelists on this and maybe from, from you as well. Do you... Like for me personally, uh, when I go through my operating plan, I, I usually, it usually becomes an exercise where I have three. And I have one for my lenders, which is my 100%, you know, I'm gonna hit this, you know, that's what I provide lenders is what I do. And then I'll have one for the board, which is basically like a 90%, which like we're very confident we're gonna hit this, you know, and then we have an internal operating plan, which is my stretch. And maybe that's at a, you know, 75 or, you know, 70% type of, you know, probability that we kind of, gauge internally, but if we miss the internal one, then, you know, we've certainly hit the board one and, and sure as heck have hit the, the, the lender. So I'm curious for you, do you guys just have one or do you think about, you know, maybe splitting that up to, is there, is there, is there wisdom in doing that kind of concept? I'm curious how you guys approach with your companies. Go ahead, Ray, start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I've, I've done that before with work with private equity firms and, and those having uh, covenants before. It gets rather confusing. Um, because then the question is, what, when you say, what is our plan? What number is the plan, right? Uh, and, and so I think we, we've, we have basically have, have done one where we have our internal plan, which is probably the board plan, internal commitments. Uh, that is one number, and we keep it at one. And if we go to the lenders, um, that is something that basically me and one other person will do. Um, it's a very, very closed group. And we'll present that to them. Um, and like you said, it's a, it's a more, I guess, conservative view to ensure that you're going to hit it. Uh, but the other ones, we will then involve everybody and everyone's on the sort of the hook, like you were talking about. It's not just a CFO's plan. It's a executive committee's plan. Um, so, but yeah, you got to be careful because too many numbers out there. People are asking questions. Which number are we talking about? All that stuff. Yeah, we had. I had a stretch plan once. We did that once. Yeah, I agree with Ray. We we had a stretch plan for the the sales team, and it was always which plan are you talking about? 
And so the same thing with, with debt, we, we did the same thing. There were three of us that knew the bank plan. No one else, not that it was secret, it just we didn't want to confuse people. And then we did that once and we didn't do it again. I mean, that's just been my experience because it's exactly the right things. People are saying, I don't even know what number the heck you're talking about. What, what are you talking about? So I've, yeah, I'm, I'm agree with Ray. That's especially Ken. Then you have a five minute debate on what the number is versus <laughs> talking about the issue. What it is. That's right. That's yeah. right. Get it. Now that you've had the same thing, right? I think for you, right? We've done different plans. I agree. Like the, the trade off you're trying to make is. You know, focus and confusion for the the company. Um, you know, versus uh, you know the executive team and some of your stakeholders, whether they're board members or things like that, like to see sort of different flavors. But I agree. I think the temptation is to overcomplicate, and the power is being more more simplified. Um, and I do think um, you know sometimes it can tie into the incentive structure with your people as as you think about. About that, like like the operating plans don't happen in a in a vacuum. Typically, they're they're connecting two people's comp and other incentives. And so sometimes I think um, there's a reason to maybe be a little more complicated if you're if if that's part of your people strategy of having a stretch plan or you know having like sort of a base plan that 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 gets you you know this much payout and then a higher one. But I agree that the point is execution, and usually that's done through simplicity. Got it. Um, Kevin, question for you. So as you're, as you're constructing and building your, your operating plan, how do you know what the appropriate amount of complexity is for your plan, right? Because you could spend endless numbers of hours and make something you know, incredibly complex from a, from a plan standpoint. But how do you know if it's just, you know, it, it's rigid enough, but it's flexible? And how do you think about that as you're kind of constructing? Yeah, I think my mistest is really with the leader. Uh, if they understand it, like if I, I tell my analysts, if you're drawing something up on the board that looks like goodwill hunting, you've gone too far. Like if it's very simple and straightforward, uh, you know, it's, it's this key driver plus this. Because ultimately my goal is that this uh, executive team member knows these metrics, uses these metrics in their daily life. And so they say, oh, that's right, the call volume's this, and I want this SLA, and so this calculates into the number of people I need. So for me, that's the my test, and so in some cases, it's fairly complex, um, like you know, some of our comp planning for uh, our sales reps and things like that, and in some cases, for some of our staffing for certain groups. And not to say that one leader is more competent or another, it's just easier to break down those metrics so they're simple people to manage to them. Because again, if it's a number that I know and how, if it's a black box of how the number, number came out, then again, it goes back to that same thing of, I have no idea how Kevin got this number. Right. Uh, but if they understand it and, and they're part of that, then that, that's my limit test. Yeah. Makes sense. Ray, do you can agree? Is that kind of how you approach it? Or how does, I'm curious in the public world how, that, uh, how you approach that. So we, we have, uh, I guess, here's a, a not, I know not a pitch, but we, we used to do Excel a lot. And you can have great Excel things. And a lot of, I've used Excel tremendously a lot through your career, probably everybody does, it's probably the number one tool we use. But we use a tool called Adaptive, which we're able to get very granular and we're able to put each individual head. So we have 2,400 people across the world for our division and we put everyone in there by name or a to be hired type thing and then what the position is and stuff. So we go pretty granular. I mean, headcount's the most important thing. We have, it's the most we spend the money on and, and so the tool allows us to be pretty granular and we can able to move heads different places and now see our results 
Um, and we do that from a planning perspective. It's, a, it's definitely a bottoms up approach and we spend uh, quite a bit of time trying to make it right. Um, Elliot, question, uh, well, I guess, you know, for Elliot and, uh, and also for Ray, I'd love to get your perspective on this, but, you know, in, in, when you're in the spreadsheet, kind of in fantasy world to some extent, right, and you're collecting needs from the different departments, right, they're giving you, I need X amount of headcount, I need X amount of budget to do these things, and they're telling you, and you, you collect all of these needs from the different departments, you put it all together and you kind of see what the financial results are there. And obviously, you know, a company has limited resources. So CFO is put into a position where he or she may need to go in and say, all right, we got to walk this back. Do you really need this amount of people? Do you need this amount of budget? How do you, you know, as the owner of the operating plan, you know, and working with executives kind of frame mind and, and work with executives to walk back budgetary and headcount needs to something that they really need and, and distinguish between the wants and the needs of, of the department so that the overall company profile is in line with, with where the company's trying to go. Why don't we start with you? Yeah, uh, sure. I think, you know, this is, a, this is one of the classic challenges. And um, uh, for me, I think, you know, what you want to do is, is get your peers buying in, right? Meaning that, that they're, they're actually somewhat invested in, in both doing their job and getting the results they want for their departments, but also in that you know, sort of company success. Um, I've had some, some success with you know, laying out kind of guidance or a financial architecture ahead of kind of operating planning of like, hey, we want the company to kind of look like this, and here's why. There's a reason we're, we're wanting this level of growth and this level of efficiency, and hopefully you can get you know, start getting that buy-in uh, ahead of time. And so when you have that follow-up conversation of, hey, you're coming in too high, you can sort of remind, remind your peers of, you know, the overall goals and get them to be more like, yeah, I can help with that. You're right. You know, I know we're trying to be more efficient. Um, I also think other things that help is knowing their business well or having your team knowing their business well so you can be constructive about that. And then I also think, um, and I think this is becoming more and more of a challenge of the sort of eyes are bigger than your stomach problem. Is actually like, no, you you like this is how many people we hired last year. There's no way we're going to hire this many this year, right? There's just like laws of physics are happening here. We're like, like we literally can't put that much money to work. And so, yeah, ideally we'd love it if you know 20 people showed up to help your team, but they're not going to in January. Right. And so I think I think I think that can also be that's more of a reality check on like what's actually possible. Right. The, the easy to put the, the request on a spreadsheet, a lot harder to make it happen. Ray, what about you? How do you address that? Yeah. One of the things that uh, Elliot mentioned early on was about doing a strategy. Uh, and so when you do a strategy, it is a tops down approach from the financial model. And so no one gets into the weeds. Uh, and so you just sort of look at everything from a growth rate perspective, uh, percent of revenue, is it growing, is it getting more, is it getting less? And then everyone sort of agrees upon, hey, when we grow up in five years, this is what we're gonna look like. And so then you come back then to the first year of that five-year strategy and say, okay, now this is sort of a starting point for our plan. And here's what we wanna achieve in that first year. And so when people all of a sudden go and, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, sales wants to spend a bunch of money, marketing needs heads to run programs, R&D needs more heads to do cool stuff. You got to come back to that strategy perspective and say, this is what we agreed. 
uh, from a strategic perspective we want to get to, I'm not going to grow your expense faster than I'm growing revenue. You know, sometimes they want 40% growth, you're growing 10% or 15 and you're like, well, you know, there's no way we can grow you faster. And they, well, I need all these things to get done. I go, well, I appreciate that. But still, the law of physics are that we're not going to grow your expenses faster than our revenue. And so I think they get it. They just got to sort of talk through it a little bit with you. And sometimes it's about they need want, they want to be heard. And so when you can hear them and then, then you can respond, then it goes good. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm a pretty... Uh, a blunt individual, I guess, or I'm direct, I want to put it in a nice way, and I just say, no, you're not going to get it. And after, after I try to explain everything to them, and I go, it's just not happening. You know, we, I'm, I'm, I'm responsible to ensure we make money at this company, and we stay afloat, we have cash, and, and I, I can't afford to have you do all those things. So you need to prioritize what you're going to do your, with your money. So I think there's a key part that, I mean, they both touched on it, but I... I just want the agreement, right? So having that strat plan, having an agreement, you can go back to that agreement yeah. and say, hey, we, we talked, you know, this was, we agreed this is how we wanted to be and this is where we want to grow up and that kind of things. And I think having a, a strong strategic plan that's collaborative, having agreements makes those conversations. And, and the most, and the one, the, the best agreement you have is with your CEO. Yeah. So you have to make sure that your CEO and you are lined up 100%. And so when all these functional areas come back and you have these tough conversations that he has your back and he's not all, all of a sudden going to move and say, oh, yeah, the R&D group, they could spend an extra million dollars. Who cares? You know, because um, that's not good. Um, so you got to get that agreed with the CEO. One thing that I found that's always been, been critical in, in making sure the executive team is, is, is playing nice and, and in alignment with company uh, value is making sure that their individual compensation plans are tied to overall company metrics or a big chunk of it at least, right? So, um, I mean, at, at our level, you know, as, as finance leader, I don't, while I'm, I'm happy if, uh, if a certain department is doing well, it doesn't mean anything to me if the company is suffering as a whole, right? And so if the executive team is in an alignment that, you know, they're getting paid, if the company's doing well, they're doing well, and that you know, greases a lot of a lot of gears and whatnot and say, you know, we need to can you give here because this will allow us to achieve these overall company goals and whatnot. That's that's something that's been effective for uh, Yeah, at least fifty percent of their variable comp should be the same across the whole EC group. Yeah. Uh, you know, and maybe you may have obviously your sales has a booking component to it and things, but yeah, that's that's a hundred percent has to happen. I agree. So let, let's talk uh let's move to some other aspects here. Um and uh, let's, let's talk about, uh, Elliot, let's talk about kind of managing the operating plan a little bit more, right? So you have, for you, you know, Elliot, you got your plan, it's approved, it's baked, you got your board approval. What is kind of your cadence in, you know, the, the, the month-to-month or day-to-day, uh, op, you know, management of that plan? What does that look like for you? Yeah, yeah. for us right now, um, you know, top line is the big variable line, as, as we all know, and so that's managed on a weekly basis with the with the sales team and with the marketing team so kind of a a monday morning kind of sales review um you know when the month when the month closes we'll do kind of uh you know budget variance meetings with with all of the budget owners Um, and we also use that as an opportunity to get ready to tweak a forecast for example and and so that's that's typically our cadence, which which builds um, you know to a quarterly reforecast. Got it. 
What about you, Ray? How do you, how do you manage it right now? Almost the exact same. Um, we do look at, we call them leading indicators on a weekly basis. So we may not be involved in the, the sales review meeting, but they talk through all their deals they're trying to close in the, in the given month. Uh, but we will look at from a transaction perspective. So our business is a, is a cloud business. So we bill based upon, um, so we provide technology for call center agents. And so we look at how many agents are on our platform. And, you know, we have a certain algorithm we can write uh, that we can do to say that's going to give us so much revenue at the end of the month. We also have network connectivity charges, telecommunication charges. We look at that. So you have to figure out what are the variables that drive your revenue. And we look at those on a weekly basis to say, are we at or at the projection level? Will we meet our, our forecast, our budget for, for the month, for the quarter? And then we adjust potentially. Um, but then we you know, talk to the sales team about their bookings. And we talk to the services team about turnups. So more important than bookings is actually getting the product live with our customers. And so we, we do a lot of detailed tracking our turnups that happen and our backlog associated with that. And can we get an outside consultant to turn up more? Because sometimes it may, you may not make money in your startup cost, if you will, or your implementation cost that you charge a customer, but to get that thing turned up faster, a couple months faster, means a lot from a revenue perspective. So we track that. Um, Kevin, let's, let's talk about, um, I'd like to start with you on this, but let's talk if we, as we're diving deeper into the managing the plan, let's talk about scenarios now, right? Because we start, we, we obviously plan, we try to validate assumptions, but at the end of the day, you know, a, a, an operating plan is a, is a model of, of assumptions, right? Of, of, of sales, of hiring, of expenses, of marketing conditions, et cetera. Um, when, we get into the year and reality actually starts to hit and set. You know, you could have, you know, three possible different scenarios, right? You know, one is, um, you know, things go perfect to plan, right? Which would be great, right? Sales ex executes exactly, people hire and expenses are in line and you're just kind of monitoring and making sure things are going and that, that's great. If you're in a hyper growth startup, you may have, uh, where you don't have the benefit of tons and tons of data, um, you may be in a situation where revenue is, is exceeding and you're growing way faster than you anticipated. Your operating plan does not contemplate the amount of revenue that you're, that you're bringing in. Or on the opposite side, as we've seen with COVID and a lot of companies have had to go through, something happens, right? That's completely out of your, outside of your control and that drives your, your revenue, your plans, your expenses completely haywire, right? So the, the specific question is, you know, as you're managing that plan, how do you, uh, think about you know um, when market conditions or the company conditions merit a potential change to the operating plan, right? When does that come into a factor and a consideration from from your perspective? Yeah, I don't know that we've ever changed an operating plan. Even with COVID, we didn't change our operating plan. We you know as we talked a little bit about um, we looked at our forecast every single month. Uh, we adjusted things and, and gave the board some viewpoints on. If this takes place, then we're going to do this. If, if this takes place, then we're going to do that. Um, so for me, you know, and again, some people, that's why some people poo-poo an operating plan because it's like, well, you make it once and you put it on the shelf and no one looks at it again. I tend to like, it, it, to me, it gives us good uh, credibility with the board to say, hey, we're able to, you know, look into the future and give predictability to the business, which I think drives confidence and also drives value. 
Um, but for me, these types of scenarios, it's not so much should we change the operating plan, it's how do we think about the forecast and how do we land the ship? So in our case, when COVID came around, we were very fortunate, you know, our lease ended uh, in September of that year. So we you know, shuttered the lease, everyone went home, you know, and, you know, in the technology space, it's really easy to just tell everybody to go home. You buy a bunch of monitors and, you know, you're done kind of a thing. I know in other spaces, it's not that easy. So we feel very fortunate. Um, and then we just kind of watched it every single month and, and made sure that we adjusted accordingly. And in our case, you know, we, we stopped our 401k match. We, we, you know, we froze hiring for a little bit just because we didn't know what would kind of take place. And we were, again, very fortunate that we, we set a goal as a, as a company really to, to go profitable. And then when we did, the, part of that was, hey, we'll bring back the 401k match. We'll have hiring, we'll have merit increases. So I would say I, I, I'm, I'm not saying we have to change the operating plan. I'm, I'm more on these gentlemen's thought, which is change your forecast. Update your forecast and make sure you're clear on what assumptions have changed. And then people get it. I mean, in the case of our board, they were, you know, we gave a monthly update once COVID started happening. Um, but it was pretty straightforward because we already had the rigor of looking at it every single month and making sure we understood what assumptions changed. Lee Elliott, is that how you kind of think about it as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, for us, um, our business was positively impacted by COVID as people looked for kind of collaboration solutions. Um, but we didn't know that at the time. Um, and so we, we did, we did um, you know, we saw some leading indicators that, that some of our customers were kind of pausing their, their spend. Um, and yeah, so in the kind of fog of, of that, we did go to, go to our board and like took down our number slightly with all their support. Um, it ended up, we ended up exceeding that, but we didn't know that at the time. And I think we'd built up trust with our board um, that it was okay to do that, you know, so that we could do that. And they knew that we weren't, you know, we weren't, we didn't play games with them in the past and we weren't gonna play games here. And so um, once, you know, and, and once sort of we rebounded, uh, we kind of reforecasted as we men mentioned and, and, and proceeded to, to beat our kind of revised plan. And even we ended up hitting our original one, which was unexpected, but a nice outcome. Um, but I do think there can be um, larger shocks. Um, I've worked at a company, um, and this will date, date me during the, during the financial crisis in like 2009, um, and we had to take, uh, which really impacted our business, and we had to take a much, um, a much sort of stronger action. Um, and, and that was, you know, that was merited and needed, um, and a lot harder than than what we what I went through, you know, with COVID. I, I think Elliot, your your discussion on there on that point was very because I I think um, you know as you go through the operating plan and forecasts, you know, obviously things are great when the company's doing well, but what can be challenging for a CFO is as they're looking at the data, the indicators. Let's say that the company is not doing well. Something material has occurred and. The company is not going in the direction that you know the CFO and the executive team hopes. Um, the question then becomes, what do you do next, right? When is it appropriate to, you know, like I said, in this wartime CFO kind of mindset, to actually go in and actually make some potentially drastic changes, um, layoffs, um, or even less drastic, you know, uh, you know, maybe just simple hiring freezes to to layoffs, freezing budgetary spend. 
um, you know, it's even, you know, potentially even more drastic, uh, you know, concepts. Um, Elliot, I'd love to talk and leverage your experience just to start here and kind of get the opinion of everyone. And, but uh, what is your kind of your, your mindset and framework and what leads you um, to actually make that recommendation to say, hey guys, we got to do X or Y, otherwise this company's gonna be in trouble. How do you think about yeah, it? Yeah, so hope, hopefully you, you've, you've been looking at leading indicators all along and that you see some and win some key ones. For example, I'll go back to, to 2009. Um, our sort of bill-through rate uh, on our business as a subscription business started plummeting in part because credit card issuers were pulling back credit limits. Um, and that's, you know, in any sort of subscription business, that's, a, that's a, a key metric. And that started really going against us. So we knew there was a problem. And you never know how long that problem will be. But it, I think it's our responsibility in the finance seat to move, to move aggressively. Because no one, except for maybe the CEO, no one else wants to move aggressively to protect the company. <clears throat> and so, so, and I think the first... Um, so hopefully you have the instrumentation in place. If it is in place, when you see things happening, then I think it's about all of a sudden your sort of frequency of attention increases, right? Um, so even when, you know, even with COVID, um, you know, more recently, based on my experience in, in, in 2009, you know, I instituted kind of weekly cash forecasting. Um, and that's, that's, you know, for a you know for a venture back company, that's important. Usually, usually you have a limited amount of capital. But I said, so if there is business uncertainty, I go into like, okay, we're looking at cash all the time, and maybe if things keep going going bad as they did in two thousand nine, I'm actually reviewing any checks we're writing. So anything that's going out the door, right? Because maybe we need to hold those back, right? And um, and I think the easiest thing, <coughs> or the easiest it does come with a cost is to pause hiring and that's hard because it tends to like frighten the company when you pause pause hiring so you need to carefully uh, message that you know with your CEO and with the rest of the executive team of how you're going to message that but I do think you know being a wartime CFO comes down to all of a sudden like I'm like you know the frequency um, that I'm looking at things just increases and the team and so that we can make real, you know, make decisions quickly. Ray, can I love, love, love yeah, your experience? I, I'll just expand upon that a little bit. It is, it is all of a sudden you do like a monthly forecast like I talked about. Now all of a sudden you're doing, you know, weekly forecasts. Are you looking at it twice a week? Um, and there is no one else in the organization that is going to move the organization faster than you are. And so if your pace is slow, the whole company is slow. If your pace is fast, the company paces fast. So you are the one that dictates that. Now, the other piece you have to look at is, okay, how much cash do you have? What is your runway? You know, if your runway is one month, then you're looking at it on a daily basis. Um, and I've, I've been there where, you know, it's like, okay, we got to make payroll and we have to make sure we collect a bunch of money. And you're, I mean, you're looking at it almost on a daily basis of what's coming in, what's going out. You're signing every check or looking at every check that goes out the door. Uh, it, it's a little bit of uh, micromanagement, but it has to happen in order for that company. If you, have, if you have a year's worth of cash 
you know, maybe you move a little bit slower, um, but you still got to be able to make decisions. I mean, you're, you are a decision maker for that whole company. And uh, I don't know about, I don't know about other people, but for me, you know, it, uh, I, I look at it pretty, pretty personally. Uh, you know, there's times when we were like trying to make payroll and ensuring we're doing that. I can't sleep. You know, I'm waking up at three o'clock in the morning and I start, my brain starts thinking and it just, you know, there, there's no comfort. So I have to make those decisions fast for my own health <laughs> as well as the company's health uh, to make sure that we're, we're doing the right thing because it is really up to the CFO. I mean, that's our responsibility is to have those financial goals hit and have that company survive. And sometimes it's a matter of cash and it is a matter of survival uh, to have that company. You got to do it. Going back to agreements a little bit, though, too, you know, in the case we ran through with COVID and then you know, part of the 2008, uh, you know, there were canaries in the mind, we called them, right? We just set certain key metrics. If we hit this, then we're going to go do this action. And again, came up with agreements, you know, if certain things took place. And so, again, we were fortunate as well with the mortgage industry having the best year it's ever had last year. You know, so our customers were extremely healthy. Um, but we had certain metrics that we were watching almost daily and we would then we knew what we would go do so we could act very decisively and very quickly to raise point because I think just waiting you know it was just too late so uh, so establishing some of those key metrics that said hey we're, if this happens and we're gonna go do that allows you to move very quickly yeah and I'll, I'll just add one other thing and a, a lot of us um, are involved in, te in the technology industry and I do think um, you know, sort of a financial shock can be very hard for a tech company because a lot of tech companies rely on momentum in the marketplace with their people and things like that. So even if you're taking some measures to protect the financial health and viability of the company, you still need to be making, now they're more targeted and harder, but you still need to be making investments, right? So you can't just put a full like break on everything you have, to, you have to be surgical about it and say like, yeah, we are, we're pulling back in all these places, but we're still like going after these key initiatives. Uh, because without that, if you completely lose momentum, uh, at least in, in my industry, very hard to recover. Yeah, that's an awesome point. It, and it is strategic, right? You're not just stopping everything, but you're stopping some things depending upon how severe that case may be. When, when COVID hit, we ran like three different scenarios. So it was like that first month of, of shutdown. We were the busiest we've ever been where we actually did like three different forecasts within a month. And, and what if this happens? What if that happens? And, and, and then how, what are we going to do? And, and so, you know, thank goodness a lot of them, we didn't have to go down very deep to, to get things. But, you know, we paused like everybody else. And, and, uh, and then we were able to quickly come back up. But, but it is about messaging. Um, you know, we have stopped, quote, stopped hiring, but never have really told anybody that we did. Um, and we never, we kept our, our uh, the postings out there. So everyone looks like we're hiring and stuff, but, you know, we've sort of, sort of stopped it for a little bit um, internally between a few people. Uh, and that has, you know, if you do it very long, it causes a lot of problems and confusions with the organization because they can't hire and they think they can hire. Um, but, but sometimes you just need to do like a few week pause just to 
figure out what's happening. We're just kind of time chance for our last question to kind of wrap this up. Um, and uh, Ray, I'd like to direct this at you and kind of leverage your experience. But um, you know, uh, an operating plan and you know finance and metrics, it's it's numbers. But ultimately, those numbers are driven by by people and executives, right? Um, especially when you are uh, in a a troublesome time with the company, and let's say you are the wartime CFO, making sure that the executive team has the utmost confidence in you as you've got the realm, you've got the you've got the reins of this company, right? And you are helping to drive the uh, and protect the finances of the company. What, what what advice would you give to the listeners here about you know managing those relationships with executives, especially during stressful times, and making sure that your that uh, their confidence in you is is utmost and, and secure, right? As you're leading the company through that, that, that period. So I think, I think there's probably two things. One, you're communicating with the CEO and you guys have agreement with the CEO of what you're doing and, and what goals you're trying to hit. And then once that is done, it is talked more and more communication. So typically I will talk with the, with the other executives maybe once a quarter. My team talks to them every month. Uh, then if it's in the wartime situation, I'm talking to them multiple times in a given month, specifically around their financial goals and around their metrics associated to hit those goals too as well. I talk to them all the time, but maybe about different issues. But you know, when, when it's wartime, it's more communication, the better. Don't go in the hole. Don't go in the foxhole. Uh, you're the one that needs to be out there, I guess, waving the flag a little bit trying to keep them going, understand that they're going to make it through, uh, what financials they need to hit, what objectives they're trying to hit from a business perspective. You're the one that's going to help motivate them. Uh, and so you have to be out leading the charge. And that means talking to them probably on a weekly basis. Well, Kevin, I'm just curious for your perspective on that as well. Like, How are you, you know, um, managing other executives and making sure that that, that confidence is there? Yeah, I think if, like I say, if it's a, if it's our number instead of a good example is sales. A lot of people say, well, that's John's number, so John's not hitting his number. Uh, but if it becomes our number as an executive team, our bookings number is our number, or the strategic initiative, you know, it's our strategic initiative versus your strategic initiative. I think that communication that Ray just talked about, if you have that collaborative communication often. It allows that trust to be there. And I think what that also helps, people have trust, they can also share like, hey, I think I can do X, Y, or Z, instead of trying to maybe hoard the money or, or guard something. They might share that with you and say, yeah, I'm, you know, I trust you, you're not just gonna gut my organization if I tell you I can give up some expenses or something. So I think, the, again, the, going back to collaborative agreements, you know, Ray said that a couple of times, and Elliot, I mean, I, think, I agree 100%. Agreements and collaboration and, and having trust um, creates, I think, that sense of, you know, okay, Kevin's not just off his rocker here making stuff up. In the foxhole, not in, in the foxhole. Fox yeah. In the foxhole, right. Okay, cool. Which is our tendency. I mean, a lot of us, are, our nature is to go in the foxhole, right? Get behind the spreadsheet, start doing a bunch of number crunching, looking at stuff, but, you know, not communicating. We, we got to communicate. Um, Elliot, any last comments on that? Uh, no, I think Good. these guys nailed it. Okay. Okay, great. I think that's uh, that good. I think we went through all the material right there and appreciate uh, that. And we'll kind of wrap it up from that perspective. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.